I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. In today's course episode, I got to have my friends back on the show from Mind Pump. Uh, last episode, got a lot of great feedback from that, so we decided to keep doing it. Um, super fun conversation. Hope you guys absolutely enjoy it. We get into phantom limb pain. We get into the value of every now and again getting butt naked in public. Um, all sorts of really, really fun wormholes that we explore here. I hope you guys enjoy. Here's a little tidbit from the episode. That posture will also strengthen that feeling, and they've done studies on this. Well, they'll take people. Look at very simple study. If so, if you make a smile on your face, yeah. even if you're not happy, you will see rises in chemicals that are associated with being happy. Thank you so much for uh, checking out the website. If you feel called to it, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, highly recommend people jumping onto the five-day movement challenge. You'll see that right in the first page when you pull it up. Drop us your email there, and we will get you started each day. Send you just like a two-minute-ish video on uh, a couple fundamental principles that you can start integrating into your daily practice, and uh, we'll change your life if you if you follow along with it. So I hope you guys enjoy that five-day challenge. Quote that we have for today comes from Nietzsche, and it goes something like this. And those who were seen dancing were thought to be insane by those who could not hear the music. Those who were seen dancing were thought to be insane by those who could not hear the music. I don't think I need to do much explanation on that. I think you guys probably get that, but it's a fun one to ponder on. Thank you so much to Ample Meal for supporting this podcast. Once again, Ample Meal is a full, comprehensive, meal replacement supplement you could call it it's a bottle of I call it deliciousness uh, it's powderized food essentially and it's got all the fats that you need probiotics various different green supplements collagen protein it's really excellent stuff and uh, you can get 15% off any purchase using the align code ALIGN at amplemeal.com check that stuff out highly recommend it um, I think we're pretty close to wrapped up here. I hope you guys enjoy this. Um, thank you so much for reviews on iTunes, and thank you for utilizing the affiliate link for Amazon on the right-hand sidebar of the podcast page, where you can also find show notes on there, BTW. Um, but anytime you're buying some crap off of Amazon, please, guys, use that link. Send it to your friends, family, and it just takes 7% or so out of Amazon's piggy bank and drops it into the line foundation here supports the show absolutely free costs you nothing and takes an extra maybe seven seconds to sort that out all right thank you guys here we go back to the show with the mind pump crew mr justin sal and adam align podcast so since the last time we've seen each other, uh, what have you been up to? I know you've you've you've, you've been uh, doing some podcasts with some of our boys. I know you got the the bands business that you got launching right now. You redid your. We got a lot of shit you've been doing, bro. We have the shit. More importantly, I just was ass naked for the eclipse in Oregon. That <laughs> so, <trumps> all. <laughs> so so tell us about that. Why uh, naked? 
Who were you with? What did you do? Why not naked, actually? Yeah, that's yeah. what I would say. That might you be a better question. To. That's the move. Yeah. Why was I dressed? You're yeah. right. I was with the beautiful Australian Stephanie, who I just, I just met. I actually am making Stephanie up. I don't remember what her name is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so we were up at the Oregon. It was like outside of this place called Prineville in Central Oregon. Mm. And um, it's like a six-day festival so people just coming together and dancing and weirding out and have you guys been to festivals like is that something not a festival like that oh man i went it's, to a, it's on a my list to do yeah, all the coachella i went to the garlic festival in yeah i don't think it's the same thing though it's a little different yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so what tell us about festivals like <laughs> what's, what's the deal festivals, maybe <laughs> um so I personally find that the value in festivals is an opportunity for people like like-minded people that kind of want to push boundaries or kind of just explore different parts of themselves. What a great PC way to say that. (laughs) (laughs) No, really though. Like it gives you a vehicle or a medium to just let go of whatever, you know, paradigm or confines or perspectives that you had because everybody's on a different level for Mm. four days, you know, and you're all living out of a tent and you're all coming down off of something. Not everybody, Mm. you know, but it's just a, it's a, really nice vehicle for you to just kind of work with different Which things. ones have you done, Aaron, and which ones are your favorites? I, I think you... Symbiosis. Go to Symbiosis. Everyone. Where is that? What's well, first, is? tell me some of the ones you've been to. Have you done like Coachella or any of those, the major ones like that? Which ones have you done? Like Burning Man, Electric, No, I haven't done that many, actually. I'm not an authority. Kind of like last time we had the jail conversation, like, I'm not an authority on festivals either. We like like. We still like asking you because you're more of an authority than we are, so. talk about everything else besides fitness. Yeah. But yeah, so I think anything, any opportunity that someone has to go outside of the confines of what they they think they're supposed to do, like last night. Oh man, this is this is gonna be bad. So last night we were having the conversation. We we're watching Game of Thrones, which I've never watched that before. Oh my god, what? You, get on that? you and Sal. It was my first time. I've never watched it. It was my first time. Oh, your life has changed. I was staying Forever. at my friend's place. It's in amazing, Oakland, right? Please and tell she got him. so excited about it. So I was like, all right, all right, I'll do the thing. And there was like incest happening, right? <laughs> and then I'm like, and I'm the I'm very like, first. Episode, right? I don't. I just I watched the last. Wow, episode. I so want to watch. No, the last one had all that stuff going. So <laughs> now, tell me what it's like being someone who just drops in like that because I feel like it's such a heavy show with so many legs to it that it would be tough to just watch one episode. Was it entertaining still for you? I did you enjoy it? I honestly didn't pay attention to the whole thing. Yeah, I paid attention. There was certain. You got to start it from the beginning, bro. Yeah, no, I couldn't. Too drop much in. character. Like, oh, too, yeah, it's, it'd be like trying to jump into a novel like you know four hundred pages in. Expecting yeah, no. But I liked. I liked the pushing the boundaries of creativity. I liked being able to just kind of put yourself, just putting yourself in that imaginary world, I think is there's value there. But the incestual thing, mm-hmm. as we were watching this, I was like, you know, I had eaten, I had eaten a little bit of, of cannabis and such. So my mind was kind of wandering and, and uh, just the concept of our belief system of what's wrong and what's right. You know, mm. so something like that. When you, go, I'm not saying you should go to a festival and have incest with your sister, but <laughs> yeah, but wow, it's just it's just. <laughs> it, I find not? it I yeah. find it fascinating how we come. We, we we have such strong belief systems, and oftentimes we don't ever really step back and ask ourselves why mm. we feel so strongly about these things that we do. Mm. You know, and so that was have something. You, that have you read Sex at Dawn yet? Uh, yeah, yeah. Chris is my buddy. We've been on each other's podcasts. And oh, dude, I want to have him on the show. All right. Yeah. We'll C- link. Could you? Could yo, man? I did not yeah, know we'll that. I didn't know you're tied to him. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know everyone. You do. Well, yeah. That's not, not exactly. almost everyone. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you're right. Uh, our concept of what's right and wrong has changed so much over the years. But a lot of uh, a lot of the things that we uh, believe to be right many times has roots in just natural human behavior. So like. 
you know, as as repulsed as we all are by incest, and as bad as that is, bad, um, <laughs> it, it's rooted in some in some uh, evolution, right? Genetically like speaking, you're and, g- genetically yeah. speaking, they've done studies on this. You're all pretty much always not attracted to a sibling, so it's that's pretty much always the case, right? Uh, but in those days, especially in those times, when you go back, you know, thousands of years or whatever, and we had kings and queens. They believed so strongly that their bloodline, bloodline yeah. was like yeah. had to be pure. That that's just what you did. Like you yeah. you were either with a sibling or a cousin, a first cousin or whatever. <clears throat> as far as first cousins are concerned, that was that was relatively. It wasn't uncommon. Like it was game one, on one or two. <laughs> <laughs> like, like one or two generations ago, um, in like in like Sicily, like where my family's from. Like I have family members that are the products of cousins. Wow. You know, it's it wasn't that uncommon. It wasn't they weren't siblings, but yeah. so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, so that's like, um, yeah. Is there, are there any other belief systems that you've popped out in your life that you kind of noticed like rewired, retooled by chance? Well, how about, how about marriage in general? Or, just, just, or monogamy? Just, yeah. just marriage, marriage period. Like it's, I, I, I've been in a lot of weddings and I've been to a lot of weddings. So I've probably been in at least 15 or 20 weddings and I've been to probably a hundred in, in my lifetime. And, you know, after you, you, you've been through that many, you kind of like, if you can step back and look at it like, and pay attention to the whole process of you know what it was like preparing for the wedding the stress of the bride all the arguments and fights between the families and the money that gets spent and the whole whole process of it and then I, I always kind of go like it just for a couple that's just getting together and getting married and starting their life together for why do all these people make such a big deal and spend so much yeah. money and put money so much pressure yeah. all to do a to sign a paper and mm-hmm. to do this formal ceremony and I go I just why just doesn't make a lot of sense to me uh, to to do all that. So I think at one point it made sense. I think today, I mean, besides tax purposes and stuff, which I love the fact that the government is involved in marriage for fuck's sake. That's oh, really yeah. weird, but we need that. Well, even like the like the, the the guilt of needing to purchase a blood diamond for your partner, mm. right. <laughs> you know? oh, wow. and like the value system. That's around what I'm saying. Like, okay, in, in it, to diamonds me, is fun. Thanks for making I, me feel bad. Yeah. Well, no, to me, yeah. okay, so that's a perfect example. This is an example of what I'm talking about, where you know I know people that I've seen get married and they're financing a ring that's you know ten thousand dollars. They have to get all this money to do the wedding, and then they still can't get themselves into a place. And it's just like, wouldn't you rather have taken all that money to get you in your first home together that you guys are going to put? I mean, to me, that's going to probably set the relationship up for it's, prob- fu- it's fucking stupid for more success yes. than to put the stress of oh, we owe nine grand on this ring, we owe this for the wedding, and it's like, and we're renting a room from somebody who you know what I'm saying like I just it's become you know. a status thing. At one point, it was important because. At one point, uh, you know, when societies were forming, having all these people around as witnesses of this, you know, whatever you want to call it, a a bond, whether it was based on um, property or whether it was two families trying to combine or whether it was something where two people actually wanted to be together. Um, You had these big events because that was your social evidence. You needed that. Now. What the, you don't need that. You get to sign a freaking agreement with the government anyway. Like, who cares? And you can have people over and they'll know you're married. You can post it on Facebook for fuck's sake. Yeah. But the cost of things, like, and I fell for that hard, man, when I first mm. got married because I was I was a kid. I was 22 years old when I got right. married. 
And uh, I, f- I was very, you know, I have a very traditional family. I was making a lot of money as a young kid living at home. So I was making six figures. Living, I had all this money that I was going to buy a house with. And I spent a shit ton of money on a fucking yeah. ring, dude, that did nothing. It's a ring. It does nothing. It feels like a ring of power. It feels like the Lord of the Rings. That's what it is. Sure. It's, it's yeah. also an artificial value, right? Totally so the, the value of the ring is created. And so it's like you're inherently, I mean, in my opinion, a sucker by entering into that, that, that relationship mm-hmm. because you're they're they're hoarding, they're they're concealing the diamonds as a means. From my understanding, please someone like fact check me on this, but concealing uh, no, it's the true. diamonds I think in order only, to maintain value. I think there's very few people that own all the diamond mines and they do strictly regulate their or control the supply right so that the price stays high because if they flooded the market shit. well <laughs> like, I, what are you doing yeah well you know i'll tell you what when you're I don't think when, people think about when you're a, when you're a dude and you really you know love in love with the girl and she that's what she wants <sighs> and you're yeah. like here's your you know but you know we've been doing this forever i think uh what are they was it what are those penguins the king penguins what are they called the big emperor penguins oh emperor. yeah 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 when they when they have a baby or whatever the i think it's the male brings like shiny stones and pebbles mm. to a female <laughs> to like quarter her. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, how much did he pay for the pebbles? Yeah. You know, what was his journey? He was eaten by a shark. What was the story behind <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing that was in relation to the, the incest, because we should stay on track with incest, I think, is... Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of moving. This guy just tries to put us in uncomfortable places. Are you, are you trying to justify something right now, Are you trying to justify something Yeah. I like your Cousin, bro. Yeah. So, so yeah. but you guys mentioned Chris Ryan, so this may, may pop up. So yeah. I gathered this from Chris, and he gathered it from wherever it was the. Uh the original derogatory term was motherfucker mm-hmm. in the sense that bonobos mm-hmm. again fact check me on this or talk to Chris about yeah. it right but bonobos the one the one path that they don't do with fornication is son to mother mm-hmm. but brother brother sister sister father daughter like yeah. all those other ways they're all doing it it's all mm-hmm. fair game but there's the one direction so in incest in the animal kingdom from what we can see the one direction that feels inherently like truly taboo at least from like a primate perspective yeah. is we don't make that connection. Once you come out, you don't go back in. Well, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Wow. Oh, God. You know, I, have that, I have that poster in my, uh, in my room. It's, it's one of those, go out. Don't go back it's in. It's a motivational yeah, poster. It's like, I have to remember that. Yeah. yeah. It's, stay on, it's all stay on track. Totally. So, so, so stay in your lane. The thing yeah. with the bonobos, here's what some is interesting. I've done a lot of reading on, the, on that particular topic because bonobos are used a lot as examples of you know, uh, or defenders of why humans um, are probably or not probably the theory is that probably had lots of sex with lots of people and that that's a better way to be because it keeps bonobos peaceful and they're not nearly as violent as, say, chimpanzees, chimpanzees, which are our closest, uh, you know, relatives in the animal kingdom. But here's the thing with bonobos. Isn't that isn't that debatable? So here. Well, here's the thing. So bonobos, uh, when they're observed, because a lot of these observations are made in captivity. And animals right, in so captivity do not behave the same way. And there, I read some articles by actual experts on bonobos who observe them in the wild, and they are nowhere near as promiscuous or sexual as they are in captivity. And the theory that they have is that because they're in captivity, they're stressed out. This is how they relieve stress. And they said, you put people in a cage, and you see weird, uh, you see them yeah, behaving very banging. strangely as well. Well, no, look at look at prisons. Yeah. How many how many straight guys go into prison and end up having sex with men. That's I mean, absolutely true. Let yeah. me tell you about it. 
<laughs> this is gonna be great. Oh, um, but it's you like know, first-hand experience. It's the same. It's the same. Well, what, and what it, it defined to me when you just said less promiscuous? What? How is this measured? Like they they don't they don't fuck twenty different people. They only fuck ten or like what's what's less? You mean for the bonobo, bonobo? Yeah, yeah. When you say um, that they, that's a, that's a good question. So so with but in this activity, it, I mean, would it be would it be because it sounds like it would be very similar to how humans are, where if you put us in prison, chances are we could end up fucking uh, a guy, even though we're not gay, and, but you put us out in just regular society, and we're not going to go to that far or that extent, but we're still going to have sex with multiple partners. So with the bonobos, uh, in captivity, they anytime they have a quarrel, they have sex. When they greet each other, many times they have sex. They have sex for food. It's like this, it's like an orgy happening kind of on a constant basis. In the wild, they behave much more like other primates. Hmm. So, so you still see violence. You'll still see territory. You'll still see stuff happening uh, that is more uh, what we would what we would consider normal behavior from primates. So I'm, I'll do some more reading. But there was, in, in particular, this particular article I read was this. I think it was a lady who's an expert on bonobos who wrote the article because she's upset with how bonobos are being misrepresented hmm. by by people who are saying, oh, this is a, you know this is how yeah. some primates do it or whatever. Like she's like, no, it's not like that. Right. But it's the same case with the way we developed our attitudes towards uh, towards drugs and addiction. Yeah. Our attitudes towards addiction are, you know, you take a substance, it does these chemical you know, reactions in the brain, you then become uh, captive to this feeling and you will do this drug and become addicted, chemically de- dependent on the substance and you can't control it and you become just an addict. And so that's how they rate addiction. In uh, and they base that off of studies done on animals or mice in a cage. So what they'll do with the mouse is they'll give them a, like a water bottle, food, and a bottle with I don't know cocaine or whatever drug in it, and the animal will do the cocaine almost to the point where they overdose, where they'll just go, 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 and actually lose interest in eating and all these other things. Yeah. And that's how we based our theory on on addiction. And thought, scientists came that, out and said... I, that was done on bonobo. I thought that was just done on uh, rats. I thought it was a rat no, study. That's what I am saying, rats. Oh, yeah. oh I you, okay, I thought you were yeah. saying that the... No, no, no. Still- <clears throat> so... Uh, that, that's where we got our theory on drug addiction, where it becomes this disease type of thing. And scientists now said, you know, more recently said, this is kind of crazy. We put them in a cage. If we put you in a cage in a prison and gave you access to drugs and you're miserable, you're going to do a shit ton of drugs, way more than you may do if you're outside in the real world and you're happy and content. And he based it off the fact that far more people have drank alcohol than there are alcoholics, far more people. So if there's that addictive, why aren't, why aren't we seeing a majority of people having these issues? So then they took mice and they put them in like mouse heaven. Rat park. Yeah. yeah. They gave them access to lots of sex and food and play and big spaces. And they found that addiction was way, way, way down or almost non-existent. And we know this as trainers because the one substance that people uh, become addicted to or develop a, uh, a poor relationship to to the point where it kills them more than anything is food. Yeah. Is food. Absolutely. And every single person that I can tell you right now, every person I've ever worked with who has a serious issue with food, whether they restrict themselves too much or overeat or eat the wrong foods to the point where their health is being affected, every single one of them, it wasn't the food that was the issue. It was the underlying issues behind that. It was never the substance itself. So yeah. I think food can be more deleterious for 
for your health than a lot of taboo drugs that we saw. Oh, oh we just we brought this up on the show the other day. Absolutely, yeah, I, totally agree. I know, I know that might ruffle some feathers to hear that. Like, how could you compare, you know, cocaine, marijuana, and things like that yeah. to you know a cheeseburger? But I think it's you know I drew parallels to that with like technology and what's going on with this tech boom and social media platforms and this desire to get that dopamine rush all the time from all the likes and the shares and the yeah. you know we only have 10 years of, of study on you know what's happening right now and because uh, people are using it for business and connecting to loved ones and there's so many positive things that nobody's really looking at the potential negative things and the behavioral addiction that's happening with technology right now and social media is uh, at, they're showing scarier than these hardcore drugs that we're so afraid of yeah. so I mean I, I think it's when you start getting into things oh, man, like I, that I have kids I see it I yeah. see it and it's yeah. really bad like especially if you go like take away their iPad real quick or something like, watch what happens yeah oh dude my so my kids in the summertime they did summer school but then there were a couple weeks there where they were off right so they would stay with either their, their mom who would work from home or they'd stay with the grandma or you know another family member and when they were with mom and mom's working uh, at, from from home, she can't like do stuff with them, right? Because she's working, but they're there. So the kids are just basically having all this access to their iPads and iPhones. So there would be days where they were on those things for hours, yeah. and I could tell. Like you don't have to tell me. I can tell when I pick up my kids or I see my kids that they've been on those things all day long. Com- totally changes their behavior. Yeah. They're, they're not talkative. They're not, they don't want to engage as much. Yeah. They're irritable, Very cranky, yeah. cranky. Like it definitely has uh, those effects. So the, the Egyptians, Egyptian doctors, from what I've, I've read, they, they had said uh, overeating is a core foundation for all disease. Right, and so I think that that's when when you go through and we see like you know natural growth or what was it NK cells like natural killer cells and BNF BDNF like all the things that make your body function better like the hormones that we that we pulled out they end up tending to increase with fasting, right? So it's almost like gives your body that space or that opportunity to go through and clean the file, mm. right? And so the tendency, another kind of connection that I, I feel with myself with overeating is the feeling of like loneliness or boredom. I'll end up diving into like eating too much butter and nuts or something, Yeah, you know? And I think that that's, it's that, that similar connection where I think it was like Eckhart Tolle, somebody, somebody. Oh, clever. by the way, I'm reading uh, New Earth. Uh, I'm almost finished it with a nice, cool. fucking great book. And so, so I, th- I think it was him, but it said something along the lines of uh, focusing too much on your. I'm totally paraphrasing, but focusing too much on yourself is a, a root of depression, right? So it's all about me. It's all about this skin bag, this you know, this body here. Then I start to feel this disintegration or separation from my community. Right, and so if we have a good, strong community, and then study after study says that your community is like a main a main marker of your health, um, then I think that that leads into things like emotional eating. And so you're talking about technology, same thing, right? I think that we're stuck in this kind of me, me, me place, staring at myself on Facebook, trying to get more money, trying to get more whatever it is. And then I think that there's a correlate to that of kind of having those dark, lonely moments where all of a sudden I'm binge eating. Well, think about it this way. Here's what's crazy, because we're all, you know, uh, you're, you're younger than we are, but we're all from a similar generation where we didn't have access to these types of things. 
How weird, think about this, when you were, you know, 13 years old, how weird would it have been to be walking on the street and seeing people take pictures of themselves by themselves? <laughs> What's wrong with thrill. you? Oh, that's you that's fucking weird. It's, you know how I know how weird it is? I remember when I, the first time I saw that, you oh. know, I remember the first time I saw a selfie stick and I went like, what the yeah. fuck? And yeah. it looks exactly like that guy that used to just talk it, in the air for no reason. It, it went from something being so ridiculous the first time I saw it within less than a year it was very normal yeah. it was very it's very normal for or, or that, imagine yeah. you went over to your friend's house right you're 14 years old and he's like dude i got to show you some pictures and he pulls out a stack of Polaroid pictures or pictures, and it's all him. <laughs> Look at what I'm doing. It's yeah. all him. <laughs> Look at me here. You'd be like, I knew a guy like Look that. Look at me actually. at Starbucks. You oh know. Look God. at me later on at Five Guys. Posters of himself like running up a hill, and then some motivational quote. I was like, Oh and my then, God. At the same time, depression is becoming the number one leading cause of right. disability in the world. Right. So as we see selfie sticks emerge, all of a sudden, I'm not saying it's just selfie sticks, but I think that's a, it's a part of the flood. Hmm. So so I'm, so the the tough part though is. It's also the way we will do business in the next, you know, decade. And if you don't figure a way out how to use it as a as a tool, you're going to get left behind. So, you know, I, I you got to manage it. You got to manage it. The the future and what interests me are the, the businesses that will evolve because of this. Because there's going to be a huge need for someone or some things to help provide detach this, you from right this balance oh, of just detaching like from it, but then also mm-hmm. using it because it's going to become such an intricate piece of how we live. I mean, even to the point I don't know if you notice this or see this already. I have where uh, companies now. Uh, part of the uh, hiring list is they want to see your social media network, like how many people are connected yeah, to you. Right. It makes total sense, right? Why you would do that. I mean, if I have two different employees and, or, and they're, everything's the same, schooling is the same, everything's the same, except for one thing. This guy has 5,000 people that follow him on Facebook and 1,000 people that follow him on Instagram. Yeah. And this guy doesn't like social media, you right. know, it doesn't do it. I'm like, fuck, dude, that's my business. If, especially if it's something where I'm selling a tan thing. No, I think you're 100% on track, Adam, because just like the obesity epidemic uh, fed the fitness industry growth, you're going to see issues associated with overuse or abuse of tech, your phone, your social media, whatever, with the rise of other products and companies designed to help offset, offset that. In fact, okay, I was at my kids' um, Open house. So at the beginning of the year, you know, you go to open house, you listen to teachers talk or whatever. I meet the homeroom teacher of my son. She hands out an article to every parent. On the, she's like, this is something I'm going to be going over with the kids and teaching them, whatever. The title of the article, Mindfulness. Great. They're teaching mindfulness yeah. at my kid's school. Mindfulness is the next big, and with that, you're going to see yeah, the good and the po- you're going to see the good it. and the bad. But it is the next big thing, and don't think for a second it's not being fueled by tech and by that addiction to tech. And like you said, depression. Anxiety, depression, uh, all these psychiatric issues uh, of the mind um, are on a huge, there's an epidemic going on. In fact, I'm listening to a book right now, which I recommend to everybody, and I'm I'm early into it, but it's already fascinating, uh, called Moody Bitches. Hmm. And it's about the natural hormonal changes in women and what what that looks like and why it happens. And it's very, very fascinating. But in that book... She talks about how one of the grow, the fastest growing segments of per, for prescription SSRI drugs, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, these are depression drugs, like 
like Paxil or Prozac are to women to be used during PMS. Hmm. They're actually medicating women with SSRIs during PMS, and that is now becoming kind of an off-label use wow. of these wow. substances. Yeah. In fact, there are, an, uh, in that same book, they talk about anti-psychotic uh, drugs, things that you would give someone uh, give something, someone to a schizophrenic that they're also giving to women off-label for. What happened in the old days where you just go see your doctor and he masturbates for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or for you. Or masturbates you. Hysteria. That's yeah. a true story. Was a, You're I suffering was, from hysteria. I was reading about this this thing with rats recently where they uh, that's not true I was listening about a thing with rats recently and it was rat cubs that had been um, cared for closer by their mothers that's so, like, what they call baby rat stuff. a baby rat's called a cub that's rat. what they said oh I yeah know. I was I wrote it down so I was like, learn, learn something new I like that. I like <laughs> that. yeah and but what they found was the that the ones that were that were licked and kind of tended to more like more physical contact mm-hmm. those ones ended up having better sexual relationships they and end up having decreased stress hormones. They end up overall having more comfortable, comfortable lives biologically mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened when they exchanged like, well, it's just a genetic thing. It's like it's not a genetic thing. It's an epigenetic thing, mm-hmm. right? Because they would switch out foster foster parents with the the rats, the rats that were more nurturing, and the same thing would happen. And you see the same connection with more warlike societies, right? So that there's been a connection that again, this one I actually mm-hmm. read of um, having the more physical contact, mother to to son or daughter, the less warlike the culture would be as a whole. Interesting. Again, look it up. So but. they, so they. I mentioned this in one of our previous <clears throat> podcasts recently. Um, uh, during the, the fall of the Soviet Union, we were exposed to a lot of some of the studies and stuff that they did on everything from athletes to people to whatever. And uh, some of these studies were horrible that they did, and you'll never be able to repeat these because they're so bad. But one of them, which is very fascinating, was they took babies that were uh, orphaned or whatever, and they took half of them, and they just fed them, just clothed them, made sure they had all the basics, but they didn't hold them, play with them, coddle with them. Yeah. And then the other half, they <laughs> hugged them, they played with them, they coddled with them. The ones that they didn't do that with didn't develop proper speech, did, like IQs were lower, had issues with aggression. Like Was it like pretty across the board? I mean, or was it like sporadic? Was to the point where, I mean, researchers now, it's no, by the way, this is not even disputed anymore, uh, but back then it was a kind of a question, right? But today, like nobody disputes touching, caring, oh. holding a child Massively is important. It's huge. It's like, give, it's like, it's like nutrition. Yeah. Like you yeah, give yeah. a kid poor nutrition, you, you know, you're going to have problems. You don't hug, kiss, and just have a baby feel your skin, do that kind of stuff, that will cause changes in how the brain develops on a permanent level yeah. to the point where... Yeah, they turn I, into Putin and Stalin. <laughs> exactly. or, tr- or Trump. Don't yeah. forget about Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. Exactly. But, um, but very fascinating stuff. That's how important it is. So the thing that I like to tell people is, because we as adults, we tend to think... Like, if you say it's to most people that babies need to be touched and held, everybody be like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. And if you, But if you extend that to adults, you'll have people that might, will actually debate you and it's be like, well, that's, that's not that important. Actually, if it's, as impo- if it's important for a baby to develop the brain, it's important for adults also and our health. Yeah. Maybe not as imperative, but still quite important. In fact, I think this is one of the reasons why massage therapy can be so effective because yeah. you're just getting touched. Yeah, totally. if you're getting touched by the right person. Right. You know, so it's like, the, what's the intention of of the course. person, you know, so I think that you can get someone yeah, to just, you can just like, be in a dark room and have a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah. 
right? Or so that, maybe so, you could. You know, hey. it's, that's, by the way, the, the Romanian orphanage is something that people can look up. Or, you know, oh, okay. like, you know, we'll, oh, the study we'll that, the I, that for, I talked about. Yeah, Excellent. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's so that's there was there was there was an underabundance. There wasn't enough um, caretakers for the for the children, and um, they what they found was there was it's called failure to thrive. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. We're just like, oh great, that's a great title. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, their their bodies end up not developing and things like autism and all these correlates to just not having that proprioceptive contact, mm-hmm. their bodies kind of, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but it's almost like you're not, you're not there Aaron, if you're not contacted. Do you feel like, uh, do you feel like you mm-hmm. were by your parents? Yeah. Yeah. I did okay. all right with would, that. Would you, would you think a lot medium low, like, what would your, what would, what do you think? Like looking back now as an adult saying like, my parents told me they loved me a lot. Which was cool. Excellent. You know, like that yeah, was a normal a pretty, thing. Like, you're a pretty you. comfortable with yourself kind of guy. You're a very touchy feely, comfortable with you yourself kind of person. What are you trying to say? Sorry. Nothing at all. <laughs> He's good hugs. Yeah. So, I, uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm handsy too, but sometimes Sal gets a little, we get a little weird if I get handsy with him. You know. Yeah. So when you, yeah, very when specific you, areas. <laughs> you know no, no. I mean? Adam does this weird thing. Hold on a second. I, you can hug me, high five me, pat me on the shoulder, whatever. Yeah, a little, even a like a slap on the ass. Even a swift slap on the butt, like Justin will do. I'll do that. But Adam does this fucking thing where. You're just chilling. You're working or whatever. He'll come up behind you, and no, he's not going to do that. He actually just rub your ear. Yeah, it's oh, just yeah, weird. Like, what are you doing? Kinda, that's weird. That's weird. You know, that's like, good. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind it. That is since I was a young, yeah, a young kid. I've done it to all my buddies and stuff like that. It's not sexual. It's not like that at all. It's kind of. It's my my way of rubbing you on your back. Or yeah. You know, <laughs> give a little a little yeah. ear tug. Yeah. 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 yeah, it doesn't turn me on in yeah. any weird way. No, that stuff. People think it's weird. That stuff is very very important, and it's important in ways that we're discovering now uh, that are fascinating. Uh, For example, your perception of yourself not only requires you to see your hand and your arms or whatever, but also to feel the feedback from the receptors and and all the the things that are on the end of your hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is, and and we know for a fact because you see disorders like phantom limb syndrome, uh, which are very, very real, where somebody will have an amputated arm but for whatever reason, their brain continues to perceive that they have an arm and it hurts and there's nothing they can do about it. Um, except now they invented, uh, who was it? Dr. Ramachandran, I think is the one that invented the um, mirror box, the mirror box <laughs> where you could change your mind's perception and then boom. Um, and then there's other weird, uh, there's this one strange uh, condition. So we met with, uh, we, we got to attend an event with Dr. Ramachandran and one of his uh, people that he works with, and I forgot his name. I'll remember his name in a second. Brilliant scientist told me that there was another condition, and I don't remember the name of it, but let's say you get injured in your hand, and you get this strange sympathetic response where your, your arm and hand gets really swollen, the skin looks different, everything's weird. There's nothing wrong with your hand. Yep. They could check. There's no infection. There's nothing going on. But then when they use the mirror box on your arm, like you would if you had phantom limb syndrome, it goes away. Yeah. So it's literally your brain is creating this reaction in your arm mm. for whatever fucking reason. So That's how important touch it, is. This shows you the power of placebo too. On top of that. Yeah. Well, plac- what you, the thing about placebo is. Is it really placebo? Right. Yeah. Well, well, well it's just a word. or does it matter? Right. Or does it matter? Right. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. But that's yeah. the thing. Does it matter? Like no, it I, doesn't. I had a client who had uh, chronic shoulder pain. I've actually brought this up before because it was to me it was mind blowing. Chronic shoulder pain. For three years, it prevented her from being very active. She was a very active individual. Um, she actually identified with being active, hurt her shoulder, couldn't do her favorite activities, and had all this pain. So she came to see me. I trained her. 
And I did the typical, like, you know, testing the function of the shoulder, looking at her biomechanics. Okay, I can identify some recruitment pattern issues. I can identify some issues. Let's work on this. And we did, and we corrected them. Hmm. A year later, no issues with function, no issues with recruitment pattern. Like, everything looked perfect, according to my eyes, except she still would have this shoulder pain sometimes. Couldn't figure out what was going on. And I was almost like, we're going to, you know, I want you to get some imaging. Like, what's going, like, there must be something happening. She had a uh, particular situation where I don't remember what she was doing, but she was sitting and she started to put together that perhaps she had identified so strongly with this pain because for three years it prevented her from doing some of her favorite things that maybe she was holding on to it because she had identified so strongly with it. And the minute she made that connection, the pain, she literally, this is what she said to me, pain was gone, gone. And then it didn't come back. And what I say to people about placebo, is it real? Is it in your mind? It doesn't fucking matter. If it works, it works, right? If it's there, if you feel it, it's there. Another one that's real to you. Another one we can include in the show notes is uh, John Sarno, mind over back pain. So that's what you just said is, is his book. Really? So he yeah. talks about that. <laughs> nice. Now you being someone who works, you're, you're like a body work specialist. Obviously, yeah, that's yeah. part of what you do. Have you seen this uh, with clients that you've worked with? Do you have examples of times when you notice something like this and the person made the connection, the pain went away? Not, not so fast as that, where it's like, what do you think about this? Yeah. Like, oh, wow, back's all better. Um, but more, it's been more of a gradual thing, yeah. But one of the things that we'll end up doing, and I've, I've noticed this in my own body, actually, <clears throat> where there'll be certain things... I think we hold ourselves back from our true potential because it's kind of like when you when you sing but you don't really sing, you know, you kind of like jokingly sing or you dance but you don't really dance. Like you don't let yourself you keep go. Your, yeah, you don't really let yourself go because if you really let yourself go, then you're vulnerable because that's your highest expression. And if your highest expression isn't enough, well then that yeah. hurts. Yeah. You know, and I think that we we have a similar thing like that where you'll see it a lot with people of like, "Oh, like I would play basketball but I got this knee thing yeah. you know ever since high school volleyball whatever like I got I got and we hold on to that and it becomes so deeply ingrained a part of our personalities and part of our, our, our persona that we need to go through in order to like you'd mentioned like that psychosomatic connection there in order to break that that bound we need to start looking maybe other places than just rubbing our knees it's it's it sounds simple but it's the fact that we identify with things we it's identify with our body yeah. my body is who i am or i am a person who has issues with reading or i am a person who sucks at math or whatever you identify with then becomes a reality i have terrible, terrible, terrible directional skills. Horrible, right? I get in a car, I get fucking lost everywhere. Like, I'm the worst person that I know, but I, I didn't realize how much I identified with it until probably the past year because my girlfriend is also terrible with directions. And what it's done is it's forced me yeah, to become up. better with my directions yep. to the point where... I'm tripping myself out. I'm starting to know yep. where I'm going. I'm starting to recognize streets. And, and I'm like, what's going on? And I'm realizing, holy fuck, maybe, I, sure, I might have a genetic propensity to suck at directions, mm-hmm. but I think I might have identified with that so strongly that it made me mm-hmm. so much worse. Yeah. I mean, how much of ourselves is limited because of that in, in all aspects? We talked about yep. we talked about this last time with language. Mm-hmm. We were saying of, of like, um, I don't remember what it was with, it was with, with, with you, Justin. Tony we Robbins. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, like yeah, how yeah. you identify with how you, how you present. Yeah, and um, there's there's an interesting analogy that I, I stumbled upon recently. It's like 
it's not so much about the container, it's more about the contents inside of the container. You know, so whether whatever whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's whether it's a sport or whether whatever it may be, I might be getting myself in the woods here a little bit. But if you can look in and really have um, purity of your content, really have drive, really have like I actually I'm kind of I'm kind of I'm kind of missing what I was <laughs> actually as I'm saying <laughs> I'm gonna steal that deep in the woods thing next time I start I was, to do the same thing. As I was <laughs> saying no I had a beautiful idea and then I got I was like wait wait what was the thought on that? <laughs> you know what you, uh, what you what, where you were going you did say it's stuff that you recently came across. I was gonna ask you so it's a good time I guess now to ask you this since you're so deep in the woods is I'm deep in the woods. Um, what what are you currently into right now, like I, I know I shared a little bit about. I just finished reading. If you haven't had a chance to read uh, "Irresistible," great book, Adam Alter or uh, or Dr. Andy Gaflin's uh, "Unplugged." Yeah, yeah. The, those, those I think those are great. So I'm kind of in that technology kick because I'm finding myself. You know, as we build this business, and so much of it is uh, wrapped and, and intertwined with, you know, all the social media platforms, and you know, quite frankly, to grow it to the level that we're building and growing to, it takes a lot of time and dedication into that stuff, and I find myself having a hard time to detach, and so it's important for me to have good awareness, and so I find myself gravitating towards books like this and finding yeah. more out about like, oh wow, how dangerous it could be. We don't even really know because how long it's been around. What are you currently into and reading and diving into? What's uh, piquing your interest yeah, right now? Yeah, what's making you excited right now? I think the thing that, I mean, this has been like an ongoing connection of what I'm excited about, but mm -hmm. but the connection of, of posture to how you feel, oh. that's like the, the one that's my, my ongoing, you know, mm -hmm. passion, I guess you could say. You know, I, I worked with a fella just a couple days ago, no, it was just yesterday actually, and he was in his late, his late 80s, mm -hmm. and his posture was folded all the way down forward, and it was like to the point that literally just staring down at the ground mm -hmm. all the time. You know, and it's like, God, like, how does that happen? And then I started talking to him more, and I found out he also owes the IRS something like $80,000. Mm. His credit cards, everyone's calling him, trying to take money from him. Everyone's trying to, like, get from this guy. And meanwhile, structurally, he's being pulled down to this deep place. And you see all these correlates of like wow. increased cortisol and stress hormones, decreased yeah. testosterone, like all these little things. And you see the same thing with the person. Like I think we might have talked about this as well. Like everyone wins the same way. Blind, deaf, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. When you win, arms, arms up, up, chest open, neck mm -hmm. open, you expose yourself. You expose your vulnerable parts. Mm -hmm. Right. So those are those are integrated patterns over millennia. Right. So for you know, since since forever, if there's a saber toothed tiger there, you go into this defense mechanism. Yeah. So your body has correlated that position into, oh God, get ready to fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. You know, so now what we see, again, this is a connection of the depression stuff. What we see is people stuck, like you mentioned, Adam, and uh, with uh, technology, we're staring into phones. Putting ourselves in this depressed position. Right. Meanwhile, we're taking antipsychotic and antidepressive and all this medication. And then you add it all up. You add the the, the the dopamine release of flipping through tons of pictures. Oh, look at all these people I'm looking at that are photoshopped. I don't look like they do. Right. This person has more money. This person's way more happy. It's a it's it kind of feels yeah. like a perfect storm, like a recipe for disaster. And people forget that many times, not always, but many times. 
when you have something in the body that causes something else to happen, there's also a reverse effect where that thing also causes the root. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is if you're very... Uh, you know, self-conscious and and uh, uh, depressed and sad or insecure, you may carry yourself with this folded forward posture, shoulders in, maybe yeah. your hair in front of your face. Sometimes you see this with depressed, like uh, young girls. But that posture will also strengthen that feeling. And they've done studies on this. Well, they'll take people. Look at very simple study. If so, if you make a smile on your face, even if you're not happy, you will see rises in chemicals that are associated with being happy. If you pretend to laugh, then you could do this right now as you're listening, even if you're kind of in a bad mood, pretend to laugh for five minutes and I guarantee it'll turn into a real laugh. So there's that, that feedback that goes back and forth and it's very, very important. And I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, besides all the other healthful, healthy reasons why we exercise, just the change in how we carry ourselves. That's why it's one of my favorite quotes. You have, Whether you think you can or can't, you're probably right. right. Yeah, you know, yeah. so so true. So Absolutely. much power in that statement. With the smile thing, it was as simple. They just put a pencil in between their teeth. You know, so it was just. It wasn't even like okay, like you weren't I even want smiling you to, yourself. I want you. Yeah, I want you. So I want this just to be mechanical. I don't want you to go back to the time that your mother loved you or you won a trophy. Like, put a fucking pencil in your teeth and make your lips go like that. And we'll see the same correlation. Oh, wow, moment. really? And they did. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. And they absolutely did. Wow, yeah, that's these, fascinating. These, and then, these, go ahead. Well, that gets into another interesting conversation, which this is another, you know, toy with this. I, I call it the fitness of empathy, right? And so, did we talk about this? No. no okay, cool. Stay out of the woods. Come the, on. Fit, the fitness of empathy here. <laughs> no, I remembered what the container thing was. I want to... Stay out of the woods. I wanna, Don't go in. I want to get back on the container thing. The container the thing is, 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 a, is a good one. Uh, but so, the fitness of empathy... So there's a guy, Paul Ekman, another person that people mm-hmm. can check out. He's like, he's like the, you know, the godfather of um, facial expression. So he studied primates, people, everybody. Oh, he's got all the books in facial expressions. Paul Ekman, check him out. I think I've read, I think he's, does he have a book, NLP? I'm not neurolinguistic. Sure so I, yeah, I think I might have not. Maybe, anyway, maybe sorry, possibly. You said neurolinguistic, like it's linguistic. Linguistic. That was neurolinguistic. So you said that. So uh, so Paul Ekman, yeah, P A U L E C K M A N. Got it. Um, and so he says something like humans have something around the lines of ten thousand different potential facial expressions. Wow. Right. So mm. all of those facial expressions have some degree of definition. Right. And so physiologically, again, if we're still on this same, you know, integrated patterns over millennia thing, you could potentially look at it as though every time I change my face or I change my body a little bit, I have that 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 same that Feedback. same correlate from my, my physiology. Mm-hmm. And so if you're limited with your capacity of range of motion with your facial muscles and with your physical structure, mm. then you'll be limited to the potential emotions that you can feel and empathize with other people. Okay, so do you cool. are you yep. familiar with the studies on Botox? Absolutely. Okay, so yeah. 100% proves exactly what you're saying, yeah. where they will give people Botox uh, to remove their frown lines, yeah. so now a person literally can't frown anymore, and they'll find that they're not as sad as often. They don't however, get elevated. However, they'll also yeah. notice that... They they have less empathy. Yeah, we talked about this in the last the Did last we? conversation. This is the same thing with SSRI drugs um, that I'm learning about in this particular book. Like, you can uh, you have these natural 
whole, you know, cycles, especially women with their changes in hormones, but all of us have them to some extent where sometimes you'll feel more sad. Well, if you blunt that with an SSRI, which causes your brain to have, you know, more serotonin, you'll feel less of that, but you also will show less empathy Hmm. towards others Hmm. and feel less empathy. And you can't tell me that that doesn't have a side, that's not going to have a long-term side effect on society or just how you behave with people around you. Yeah. And so that gets into the fitness of acting, right? The fitness of improv, the fitness of comedy, singing, all of that. It's all fitness. Right? We think of like, oh, I do like these sick, you know, preacher. In curls. other words, like, you should exercise fitness. at all. You should exercise all that, man. So every moment throughout the day, you're exercising. As I'm sitting here, I'm exercising. As we're communicating right now, I'm doing like extra gesticulation just for the hell of it, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm exercising. Right, I'm opening up my shoulders. My hands are up over my head, so I'm allowed to. I'm able to open up my shoulder girdle, allow that blood to flow back towards my heart. Right, I'm crossing my legs, so mm-hmm. I, as well, same thing. I'm able to compress that blood back up to my heart. Right, so every moment we're we're forming ourselves. We have fibroblasts and fibroclasts. Right, they're building our cells and our structure dependent upon how we guide ourselves. Right, and and I think most people are familiar with how you think create, you know, it changes how you feel and how you look. But like you're saying, exercising these things on an external basis with your body yeah. uh, will also influence the other things on the reverse. And it's funny you brought up singing because uh, I, I can definitely see the case for how important singing may be for health because, um, and here, here's why, it's hardwired in our brains. We are hardwired, and it's something, it's a phenomenon we've known for millennia, where if you want to remember things, you create a song around it. You sing it. Uh, That's how we learned our ABCs. In fact, if you say your ABCs right now, you'll probably sing it. Mm -hmm. This was how people um, kept uh, track of history. Before we knew how to write, we would sing songs, and those songs were remembered, and they were passed down. What do they call that? Mnemonic? What's the the term for (sighs) A mnemonic device. Or or just the way you you remember things? Yeah, when you sing your way through, so you you retain it a lot. Yeah, so that's a great point you make, that that's an important part of your overall health and fitness doesn't mean you're going to be like Celine Dion or whatever singing, you know, (laughs) but it might be. I mean, Adam's pretty close. Yeah. Oh, he's got the best. He's got an angel. There's a guy called uh, another show notes here, Stephen Porges, right? So the polyvagal theory. Have you guys ever heard of that one? No, no. Check out Stephen Porges polyvagal. He needs to be way more known than he, than he is. It's ridiculous. Um, But so he gets into this, the correlates of just exactly what we're saying, essentially. So the, the, the vagus nerve vagrant, Right, one the wandering nerve, right, coming from our brainstem all the way down, connected to our heart and our diaphragm, our liver, and most of our organs. So the correlation of how we're expressing ourselves mm-hmm. directly, there's a main line directly down to our viscera and vice versa, right? So we're stimulating our vagal nerve just through our movement. We're also stimulating our vagal nerve through the tone, the tonality of our words, right? So he calls it prosodic language, right? So when you're like talking to a child, you have this immediate indicator of what's the best way to access this organ organism's nervous system. It's not Billy anymore. I'm accessing the nervous system of this organism, and that's how I communicate to each other. Wow, that's, how that's we fascinating. Each other. That is very fascinating. That is fucking fascinating. And did you know, so now along those lines, 
when a woman is attracted to a man, it's sub-perceptual, sub but she will elevate her octave just a little bit. Yeah. And when a man right, exactly. meets a woman that he's attracted to, Lower it. without unconsciously, yep. and you pick it up with recording yeah. devices, hey, you, you naturally yeah. lower your, your voice a little bit. And so it could be to stimulate that nervous system it that is. you're talking about. Yeah, no, yeah. that's it. That's interesting. So we're talking to limbic brain now. Right, so we have hey all girl. this. We, what's that? Hey girl, how's your limbic? Oh how's shit, your, how's your limbic? Just, Justin just did it for me. <laughs> yeah. You stimulated my, lim my limbic. <laughs> Turn up that bass, girl. I have to go change my pants. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, so it's 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 recognizing. It's kind of like in Men in Black, where they have like the little the little felly opens up his his like forehead. There's a little guy like you know yeah. holding the toggles. That's kind of what's happening with us, right? So we always have these these limbic conversations with each other, right? So as I'm talking right now, as we're talking to each other, we care what we're saying. You know, this is like an audio podcast, sure. but we're reading a lot more about how we're sitting. And oh. how you can see immediately, like, I, oh. I only try to do these in person because yeah. I want to see your face. I want to know when I talk too much. You're talking to, oh. you're talking to uh, guys who trained very, very heavily in uh, the art of sales. Yes. yes. And yes. let me tell you Body about... Body language and, sells. And sales is uh, really uh, a bad term, a bad uh, word for, or a bad uh, way of saying um, effective communication. That's all sales is. It's just being yeah. able to communicate effectively, being able to transfer feeling, being able to get somebody to feel a certain way to motivate them to buy a product or whatever. And 100%, most of the, 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 a lot of the training, I should say, that you're doing with people when you're teaching them sales is that communication is mostly nonverbal. I mean, how many times, Adam, did you spend that with your trainers right. teaching them? Uh, you know, Posture and eye contact and mirroring, mirroring yeah. yeah, all that, you yeah. know, for sure. Absolutely. They say it's like 60, these numbers are close, but not exactly, like 66% body language, 30-something percent tonality, and then like 7% words is, again, one of like the famous studies that I've, I've gathered from that. You can, you can I'm Google, a testament Google, to that. Google and yeah, we hang up so much on words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you deliver it. The energy's there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, uh, it's fascinating stuff. It makes me wonder if, in the future, because this is all, this is all stuff we've kind of known. But uh, as with anything with the scientific method, you need to have measurable statistics before anybody really takes you seriously. Cause sure. we've known this, like if I went back a hundred years or 200 years and I explained to people like, Oh, the, the, the tone can do this. And the way you stand can make you feel a certain way. Most people would agree. Um, in fact, thousands of years ago, many of these, uh, you know, religions or, um, you know, shaman or whatever, these are the things that they practice before we had science to explain them. But yeah. now that we're actually able to see measurable things through science, it makes me wonder if in the future we're going to have facilities specifically designed to utilize these things to treat things like anxiety and depression, like you go in there and they know how to program working with, you know, the way you speak and uh, certain exercises to affect your posture in a particular way. And here's these face exercises and all these other things that don't involve any drugs, but are like therapy centers yeah. for people with these types of uh, disorders. It's acting school. 
Hmm. Have you been to acting school? Uh, no, but I've been to a lot of. I've been to, so so hear me, hear me now. So I've been. To, uh, no, I want to know why. You I've been that. to, That's why I'm laughing because he said, "Yeah, acting school, yes. never been." Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Just hear me heard now. about it. Hear me now. Yeah. Hear me now. Hear me now. Um, so so I've been to. I've done like a lot of improv things. You know, I've done ballet. You know, so I've I've been. I've more been around people that that was their main profession, yeah. and I kind of I, I kind of dabble with it, right? So I used to do like I was in like a burlesque show thing where we traveled around. We do like various different things. I did some ballets where we're like singing and shit, right? And so there's like you can kind of see the warm-ups that people are doing. The warm-up of someone that's about to sing or about to dance or about to you know act is completely different than that of someone that's about to run a triathlon. Right, you know, and so it's, it's someone that's running a triathlon. They're just not thinking about vocal cords, right? And they're mm-hmm. vagal. I mean, sure. No one's probably thinking about vagal tonicity, no. right? But <laughs> it's just a tr- it's a training for you to be able to access. Why I said the acting school is for you to be able to access that emotion, that feeling. You'd be like method acting. You have to take that on in your whole entire body, right? So that's the acting school connection. Is like, can you really take on depression all the way down into your feet? Right, so you're trying to be this character, so you practice being that character for several weeks before. That's what makes the most effective actors ever. Yeah, yeah. but okay, now we're saying that this is good. You know, this would be healthy for you to exercise this, right? That's I think what we're saying. Yeah. Right. So if that's true, then why are so many actors so fucked up then? Well, yeah. Well, uh, then there's another conversation. Yeah, that's a whole other thing, dude. Because but they're good salesmen. I, and I so, know. Hey, so and here's, I, they here's take what you on with the character they create. So here's what you want to. Here's here's something interesting about that. Um, uh, I have some great conversations and uh, even discussions with my girlfriend quite a bit, and this particular topic came up, where you will find in many times people who are the best at. Uh, using a uh, you know certain techniques or mastering things like <laughs> meditation or movement or who are really really good at it is because they're in a situation or they've been in a situation where they're they've had to yeah. become very good at it. like perhaps actors look comedians are like this comedians by the way are some of the best actors in the world in fact if you talk to any acting coach they'll tell you that a good comedian can pretty much act in a movie or a TV show and be okay and do pretty well comedians are and this is a stereotype but there's there's some statistics to back this up that a, up. a much larger percentage of comedians have issues with depression, anxiety, whatever. And the reason why they develop this incredible skill to be able to make people laugh and to perform and move and feel is because they've had that that internal motivation of feeling pain or whatever. Yeah. That may be the case with actors where they feel this internal struggle. In fact, with most artists, I would say. Yeah. I would say a lot of artists are driven that way. That's uh, There's a song by, you guys know J. Cole? You ever heard of him I before? I love J. Cole. J. Cole. I just went to a show with, with J. Cole recently and, and uh, one of his songs, I don't remember which one it is, but it, it's... Uh, uh, it said people from people from the ghetto, whatever term you used, are the best actors because they always have to wear this like hard mm. face until eventually they start to feel hard. That's not exactly what he said, but he said it right. It's it's they're they're acting to play hard as a defense mechanism because they're moving through this place. They don't want to get robbed or whatever, mm-hmm. and then eventually they become hardened by that. Right. It, it turns into what you it identify when it that. becomes what you are. So your culture, your environment, whatever your your act is growing up. If you're a person that doesn't have really any reason to, you know, acting for survival, mm. then you know you probably won't. Yeah, it's funny too because uh, we've known now, we've known for a long time that. Uh, proper exercise okay going to the gym and exercising working out or doing it outside or whatever on a, on a like a appropriate level 
is has been shown to be as effective in the short term and more effective in some studies in the long term than the most popular SSRI drugs for treating mild uh, to sometimes moderate depression mm. and that uh, and they attribute that to the fact that when you exercise you get all these feel good chemicals you get you know you lose body fat lower inflammation and that definitely plays a role but now I'm wondering how much of the role is being played also by simply fucking moving opening yourself up to like a row or doing a squat or whatever because now I'm using my hips and I'm just moving yeah. like how much of the health benefits come from that do you guys notice yourselves acting in daily life are there moments where you're like oh Always. this is a little bit we're always acting. Hmm. This is a hundred percent. What about being in the moment? And like, so there's a difference of like not realizing that you're acting, hmm. you know? And that's one of the things that I really like with dance. Like there's certain Flow. levels that you'll yeah. get in with dance. When you first start and you kind of maybe like do some of the moves that you know, or something like that. But eventually you can get to a point, you do this with anything where you're just lost in it and you're consumed by oh, it. Yeah. I feel right. like that on the podcast a lot. That's what I meant by the container conversation yeah. Yeah. earlier. By oh, the way. okay. You know? I knew it would come back. <laughs> no, so, so the <laughs> container thing. Yeah. Yeah, so, out of the woods. So yeah. with it, yeah. <laughs> let me go deep, deep on this one. With this, so the container, the analogy that I've used it with it is like finding functionality of your movement, right? Or your thought or your you know, business, whatever it is. If you can find that, that alignment or that functionality, that, that organization, then it doesn't matter what container you put it in, you'll mm -hmm. be successful. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we if we promote movement in this way, the way we're talking, as a like a hey you're feeling down or whatever. Here's a short term like movement you know fix or whatever. I wonder if that'll get people more motivated or at least more consistent with movement if they start to understand that you know what I mean. So rather than just well, connecting with I, lose weight, gain weight. We're, I just told Doug that I have a list of YouTube series and videos I want to do, and one of them is a step challenge and I have this is something that I've implemented fuck I don't know how long it's been I've been doing this ever since we started I think back in the body bug days when I first started monitoring steps and movement daily movement when I saw what an impact I was making on clients. It was the, it was the most, one of the biggest paradigm shattering moments for me in my career was putting this piece together that, oh my God, all this time that I spend on making the coolest program, the perfect diet for you and so that. It didn't even compare. It yeah. didn't even it come close. Yes. Yeah. Do not compare nothing to just first making my clients aware of how much they actually move throughout the day and how much they're sedentary and sit around. And then how to just strategically increase neat over time and how easy that would feel. And then all, and then all of a sudden I started seeing all these other benefits. I was doing it just from yeah. a, you know, as a trainer thinking, I'm going to get my client I'll to move more, move. burn more calories. They're going to burn more fat, blah, blah, blah. Like, cause that's their goal. And I want to help them get there the smartest way. And then I just started seeing all, I mean, happier, healthier, aches and pain. I mean, all these other... Just because they were moving. Just because they were moving yeah. more. And it was such an easy thing once they put that together. So yeah. I'm, we're going to do, uh, you know, and I'll share the, uh, in your show notes, I'll share the YouTube link for this because we're going to shoot this hopefully today or tomorrow. Cool. Um, and this is a challenge that I would do with clients uh, just to kind of motivate them uh, to get started on a program with that. And I, I, it doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't require going to a gym and buying a membership. It's simple. Simply just figuring out where you're currently at and then slowly increasing. And then it's amazing when you start connecting the dots, all these benefits. Yeah, I, uh, it just, you, I guess if you're, you want to look at the root of really how to become uh, healthy in an optimal way, you have to look at what is natural for human beings. And the vast majority of time that we've been on Earth, we have not lived in this modern life. And uh, so the human body it really evolved. 
being relatively active throughout the day, being connected to other people, because if you weren't, you probably died. Humans do not do well yeah. by themselves. We're, we're the most social creatures on earth for a reason. That's why we, we evolved with that because it helped us survive. And we evolved in an environment that was not plentiful with food all the time. Hmm. We probably ate all the food when it was there and then had nothing for a little while. And so it just makes sense. You start applying it. We got sunlight, mm -hmm. you know, we had some dirt. Like if, if you start applying those things to your modern life, you'll start to feel optimized. You'll start to feel, uh, I think the way you're supposed to. Yeah. Um, but, and, if, and again, if you look at modern life, how many of those things are totally opposite? because of our lifestyle, like access to all this food all the time as palatable as, I mean, we've engineered it to be so palatable. We, you would never find anything in nature that has this combination of flavors that I can get for, you know, a dollar 99 in a package. <laughs> yeah. I like in order for me to be active every day, I have to schedule it because yeah. my lifestyle doesn't even, it doesn't even allow me to be active because I'm at this computer all day long. Yeah. What's one thing that stands out? So we're in San Jose right now that stands out for any of you guys, as far as something like maybe that you do that puts you back into more of like that natural, natural state that a person might not think about. Oh, so like example, float tank. Cool. Great. Uh, yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. for me, tank. for me walking, uh, going outside in the sun, barefoot yeah, on the grass, huge, very, very easy. I, uh, when I first heard about how the benefits of it, I scoffed and like, that sounds like whatever. Um, then I saw a little bit of science supporting it, which then prompted me to do it and then read more about it. And then again, it makes perfect sense. And I can't believe how much of a difference it actually makes in the way I feel instantly. Yeah. I go outside, stay on the grass, walk around a little bit, get some sunlight. Well, and that's I go back why I have inside. to live under big trees, man. I have to live, mm. and, and I go uh, hiking all the time. And then if I if there's ever any creeks, I love to take my shoes off and walk around and feel the texture of the rocks and all that kind of stuff. I think that yeah, you could totally desensitize yourself to all those things that you know we were pretty you know aware of uh, when we weren't wearing so much like supported shoes. And, and yeah. all this stuff kind of like you just turn that signal off completely, which is crazy. Yeah. I just shared a game changer for, for myself that I, I just really recently put it together in the last probably two years uh, was making a simple habit of every time I ate a meal to just get up and go walk for a little bit. And it doesn't even have to be long, like just a little five, 10 minute walk yeah. right after I consume my food, uh, just the standing up the moving, the, the digestive process, like I can now feel what a difference it, it would make. And then you figure in the calories that you're burning because you're moving and all the other, and we're, again, we're talking about all the other positive benefits of just posture and moving. I mean, uh, that was a very simple habit for me to start to create. It was just like, listen, I just, well, you know, whenever my girl and I, anytime we go eat out, we, you know, as soon as we get done, instead of just going right to the car, we just kind of walk around look at the stores for 10 minutes and then we get in our car, you know, or if we're at home and we're having dinner dinner, we have dinner and then that's when we go walk the dogs right afterwards. And it's like such a small, easy thing. It is. It's such that a, makes such a big, all difference. things I was doing anyways, pretty uh, much just being kind of a little more strategic about it and aware about like when I'm consuming food to make that habit. And then I've made little, again, I like to do little challenges for clients and give them goals off of that is I would say, okay, however long you sat to consume food, try and challenge yourself for walk for the same amount of time. So if you sat at a restaurant and consumed and ate and drank and hung out. And it was a 60 minute event of consuming food and drinking and alcohol and stuff or whatever, you know, make it a goal to walk for that long afterwards. And if you have a, you know, quick bite to eat sitting down and it's only a 20 minute thing, try and challenge yourself to walk afterwards. And it's pretty amazing, uh, 
how much uh, that has helped clients and myself even with just maintaining my weight and staying in a healthy. You, and you notice it right away. Oh yeah, right away. If Instant. you go for a walk after you eat, if you don't normally do that, right away you're like, whoa, I feel. Yeah, I, the, everything moves better. Yeah. My my family actually, uh, especially when we get large uh, groups together, and because I have a pretty big family where. Um, we're all, you know, Mediterranean Italians, right? So we'd have these big, these birthdays or whatever, 50 people over. And it's very common after everybody eats their massive dinner that at the end of it, quite a bit of us, a group of us will go for a walk afterwards. It's just something I grew up with and it's a part of a lot of cultures and it makes a, a big difference in terms of, it's something, again, it's something small that well, I used to makes laugh. Feel Did so you, I mean, I used to laugh about it as a tra- young trainer. Like when I was teaching people in my early twenties, uh, you know, health and fitness. And they'd be like, Oh, you know, I'd ask him, Oh, do you, what do you do for, you know, the exercise now? Oh, I walk every day. I'd be like, that's not exercise. I mean, come on. Like you're not, if you're not hammering the weights for an hour (laughs) training, like you're, you're not working out. That's nothing. You know, walking is nothing, but in actuality, looking, looking back now, I kind of like, fuck, you know what? If there's anything that's probably changed my clients more, that's easy for anybody to just implement is getting them. So funny. I, I, I catch myself all the time because it feels like like I'm this mother, you know, going around like chew your food, yeah. walk more, you yeah. know, <laughs> like stay hydrated, yeah. you know. And these are all like the biggest, you know, most important things you should focus on. It's just like ironic. Well, I don't. Did we? I don't know if we talked, Aaron, and last time we we all got together. If I shared this stat, and I don't. I wish I remember where I read this. Um, but the average American is taking less than four to 6,000 steps a day. Hmm. And if you actually monitor and track what that takes to get is ridiculous. If we walked outside right now, outside this studio and just walked for the next hour, we would surpass that number. So to think that the average American does not even move for a consistent one hour in their entire 24 hours of their day, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. That's about a third of what, what they, Whoever they is suggests that hunter gatherers were walking. It was something I think it was like twelve thousand steps. Have you guys mm-hmm. ever heard that before? Mm-hmm. Not to say that's even the best thing, you know. But from where we came from, right. the average roundabout, if you can shoot for around, like I think that's like the convenient ten thousand number. This is how crazy it is. You take the average person and you take them from what they're doing now and say hit twelve thousand steps every single day. Mm-hmm. They'll probably hurt their feet. Will probably bother yeah. them. They may have some knee problem totally. because that's how deconditioned that we've become. So I mean it's. It's very. I mean, uh, if you're listening and you want to do this, slow, gradual. Yeah. Well, and that's what the the YouTube is about. That's is what actually, you're yeah, do, yeah, yeah. So when I talk about that, I talk about you first. You know, part of the goal and the challenge is first figuring out where you're currently at. So you know, invest in a two dollar pedometer, or if you have the latest Fitbit or cool tool, you know, pay attention to where you are for one week, and then from there we set the goal. Every, that's the way it's individualized, right? Because otherwise it'd be generic if you just said ten thousand steps. Because yeah. ten thousand for somebody else. I mean, I I average like sixteen to eighteen because I'm an animated mover and I, I move a lot and work out and train pretty consistently. And on a low day for me, it's probably eight or nine, but you know, I'm not the average, I'm a fitness guy. Right. So, but the average American is like four or six. So that what they need to increase compared to me is totally different. So yeah. we have to, we have to wrap up here. I'm, I got to take off. I'm meeting up with, uh, do you guys know Jason Kalipa? Have you guys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. yeah. So I'm heading over to his place. Excellent, so man. He's got something it. going on. You said, yeah, he's got, was he, his daughter has, um, what is it that his daughter has? It's, uh, 
leukemia. Oh yeah. shit! And so he's doing I did not know a, that. A, a, a blood drive thing, but that's I don't think that's today. Actually, mm. I'm just gonna go meet up that's and so people can tune in for whatever he's, the hell that that, he, that podcast. He's in a, well. he's involved in a lot of cool. Um, he um, every year I see him and his whole setup at the the big one over at. Um, Stanford every year hmm. for CrossFit uh, Games. No, 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 no. The Children's Hospital. Like, oh, so okay. I know, and I've seen him at another one too. So I've already ran into. So he does a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I know it's because of his his daughter. Was yeah. she born? Yeah, she was born with it, right? Uh, no, no, I, I, I think don't know. They found they, they 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 certainly didn't find out from her. It was, it was, she, she, was, she was like was living very, like a normal life, and then she was no, no, she was very, she was very very young when she got it. She was definitely young. She's yeah. still young. I think she's maybe six. I might be misspeaking. I'm well, not, yeah, she's yeah, really really been, young. I think it was like a couple years ago that they that they determined it. Well, we'll bless them. But the one thing that I, w- I wanted to say that was kind of interesting. You were talking about sensitivity and such, and like kind of like rewilding would be a word you could use. People that are deaf, if they whatever the surgery is where they 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 bring their hearing back. I don't yeah, know enough cochlear about implant. Yes, cochlear implant. So something I just that talked they, about this yesterday. Something that they found with that. You might have mentioned the same thing that I find super super interesting with it is uh, when they first get their hearing back, it almost hurts. Yeah, because they're too sensitive. Mm-hmm. Right. That's it's, exactly what we talked about it's yesterday. A, it's a similar concept. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's a similar concept with Justin, or you know, talking about like, oh, like I'll, I'll take my shoes off here, but it, like you know, it'd be like sensitive and it like feels good, but it almost like hurts feels good. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the same thing if you do what your natural biology would really like you to do, it might hurt at first because you've cushioned yourself so much to the point that you're kind of paralyzed, right? But now if you start to implement these subtle little things in, at first it might feel almost uncomfortable until eventually you start to really Mm -hmm. thrive on it. And that's like, you know, being barefoot is a great example of that. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't like wearing shoes. I'll wear shoes if I have to. You don't say. (laughs) I've never seen you in shoes. I'm not into it. This guy walks in off the street (laughs) like a hobbit. Well, I mean, the sidewalk (laughs) was clean. There's roots I walked on and shit. You know, it's like it was from A to B, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of letting go of like the, the, the insecurity or the judgment of that. I'm like, you know, fuck it. Like it feels good. I know like I've, I've talked to all the smartest people yeah. in the world about why it's good for me. I'm like, I'm going to just do it. And do you <laughs> think, man, that's yeah. a place of happiness, man. So I've, I've actually tried to, to do it more. Do you find, <laughs> do you, but you can't go into like stores and stuff, right? You're not going into stores like that. Are you? I mean, yeah, every once in a while, you know, but, 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 uh, but yeah, no, in general, so I pretty much, I will definitely wear shoes if it's going to be uh like strongly disrespectful or disrespectful at all essentially um so but me walking around outside barefoot that shouldn't if you have an issue with that you should probably work on yourself yeah exactly yeah no right yeah yeah, right so that's i i've i've gotten to the point where that's i walk my dogs and i do stuff that like around my house all barefoot but if i'm going if i know i'm going to go to like chipotle and go get myself no so i carry my shoes with me you'll notice there's there's about a 67 percent okay i didn't know if you were that big of an asshole because then because then at that point it's not about being insecure about yourself now you're being almost pretentious about it, right? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's, I'm trying to walk that line, right? You know, so I keep, I, keep, I keep my shoes in my backpack. Oh, okay, good. So when the time comes, boom. But All it's, right. but yeah, about ninety percent of the time, if I'm wearing shoes, it's because there's uh, a man-made chemical on the floor, on the ground. Mm. I don't need that. Mm. Uh, but if it's almost anything natural, I'm like, well, whatever. You know, yeah. immediately we're thinking about like poop, but like I probably don't want to walk on poop. But even that, I'm like, I'll take manure over gasoline any day. Right. Sure. You know, and so it's so that situation and then uh yeah if it's just gonna offend people hmm. excellent well man 
Good time always. Yeah, thanks yeah. for coming yeah. in, brother. Yeah, how do we, we don't get how do we we get to swap the thing? Doug, Doug, yeah, Doug will send it, send everything send over. Send over the file yeah. on your own. Oh no, no, but but how people? I mean, you guys, have, we've already done this, but uh, how do people find your? Oh yeah, so uh, so uh, on iTunes you can find us. Uh, Mind Pump is the name of our podcast. Um, you can find us on YouTube. We actually post a new video every single day on YouTube. So cool. fitness videos. There's some comedy stuff. There's some vlogs. Um, some lectures. Um, our YouTube channel is Mind Pump uh, TV or MP. TV and then our website that has all of our programs. So if you have any uh, questions on the kind of programs that we put together for people, it's mindpumpmedia.com. Cool. I really enjoy these conversations because oftentimes I will over prepare for like interviews, which I, that's like a dirty word to me. But uh, with this, I'm like, I'm just like, I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every day it's like this. You can't prepare for us. <laughs> yeah, right. Nobody right. can prepare right. for us. So thank you guys. Right thank on, you, brothers. Thanks right for on, the gifts, too. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and thank you Ample Meal for supporting this podcast. Ample Meal is a bottle of deliciousness. It's a comprehensive full meal designed to provide quality fuel when you don't have time to sit down and make a sandwich or whatever you're into. Uh, really good stuff. Just throw some water in there and it's got fats from macadamia, coconut, chia seeds. It's got wheatgrass, barley grass, chlorella, various types of fiber, probiotics. Really good stuff. Get yourself 15% off using the Align code at AmpleMeal.com and uh, A-L-I-G-N is the code, 15% off on that purchase. All right, guys, thanks so much. Thank you once again so much for tuning into this podcast. If you guys want to show some support, show some love for what we're doing here, um, you can jump on the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. And then from there, a couple things you can do, one of which you could actually donate through Patreon. There's a link on the right-hand sidebar of the blog and podcast page. Uh, You can utilize the Amazon affiliate link. Uh, Anytime you or anybody you know buy some crap on Amazon, please and thank you. Bookmark that link. Every time you do it, we get something like 7% of your purchase and it helps support this show. It is awesome. So great. As well, something you could do that is ultra helpful. If you or anybody that you know has ears and likes books, uh, tell them to check out the audibletrial.com slash align. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E e-trial.com slash align and then from there that is uh, you get a free audio book from audible they have something like i don't know a bajillion different titles to choose from uh one that i would recommend that i got from them was shantaram i it's a huge book and uh again all free no matter what size the book you get and that got me through i listened to that as i was traveling through morocco and uh, just really really amazing website uh, amazing service couldn't recommended them more and uh, it kicks us down some scratchola every time you guys utilize that free thing costs you absolutely nothing and you get a free audiobook and you support the show boom um thanks so much for reviews on itunes that's greatly appreciated and thanks just in general for listening thanks for supporting thanks for for spreading the word all right i can't express enough how much i appreciate all that if you guys ever have any questions or comments you feel free to email me directly at aaron at aligntherapy.com and i would love to talk all right see you guys Thank you for listening, and remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one, and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.